Insurance agents from around the world, welcome to the Insurance Guys podcast, hosted by yours truly, Scott Howell, and the incomparable Bradley Flowers. For agents, by agents, we're here to share real-life experiences, tips, and insights related to all aspects of both being an insurance agent and running a successful agency. So sit back, turn up the volume, and let's get down to business. Insurance agents from around the world, my name is Scott Howell, your fearless host, and I am joined today by a fantastic agent, a great American, and a birthday boy. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the incomparable Mr. Bradley Flowers. How are you, Bradley? I'm great, Scott. How are you? Man, I'm doing wonderful. Thank you so much for asking. Tell me about birthdays today. Do we have any big plans? Are we doing anything special? So Gary V posted a video yesterday talking to the youngsters. Basically, said, close your eyes till you're 29. In other words, don't don't really start getting after it and, and worrying about you know, making it into your 29. So that kind of depressed me a little bit because I'm 29 today. <laughs> I actually uh, tweeted Gary this morning and said, well, that didn't take long. <laughs> but no, man, we're going, we're going to, uh, I'm going to go grab lunch with a buddy here in a minute. And uh, I am actually uh, got a little birthday dinner planned tomorrow night uh, at the Bluegill on the causeway here in Mobile. So Scott, if you oh. want to drive down from Huntsville, come on. Hey, I know it's off topic, especially about what we're going to be talking about today, but tell me about this Taco Tuesday thing you got going on down there. Every Tuesday, uh, there's a restaurant down here called Montego's that is not a Mexican restaurant, and me and Mm -hmm. Laurel, uh, my fiance, sort of discovered the tacos there. Uh, It is a, they have a pulled pork taco and a Caribbean jerk taco, downtown Mobile. There's two locations, but I only go to the one downtown, and they're $3 tacos on Tuesday night. So every Tuesday night, that's what we do. That's my favorite night of the week. We go down there, and I get me four tacos and an a, and a ice-cold uh, Haint Blue, uh, which mm. is a local beer brewed right here in Mobile, Alabama, and their headquarters are about 10 feet away from me at Container Yard, where Deep Fried Studios is located. For the agents out there listening to this right now, if you want to know how deep, how deeply Bradley Flowers is into the insurance business, can you, are you at liberty to tell our listening audience what your fiance does for a living? Can you mention that? She is my next door competitor. <laughs> I love that so and much. As of yesterday, so she opened, I've been around five years. She opened her doors in March of this year. So she's been in business, I guess that'd be six months, just over six months. And actually yesterday we had our first, you know, I, you know she's taken some business from me. I've taken some business from her. You know, one client doesn't make or break you. If one client makes mm-hmm. or break you, you're, you're doing something wrong. But as of yesterday, we that, that I know of, we had the first scenario where someone called both of us for a quote that didn't know mm-hmm. it wasn't somebody we knew. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I actually won that. So I, ca- I, I called the lady. I, I, I emailed her a quote. She, she, I, I originally quoted her uh, 25500 limits. Mm-hmm. And she emailed me back and said, hey, would you mind quoting me a 100, 300 comparison? Mm-hmm. And so I said, sure. So I quoted that and I emailed it to her yesterday at 10 a.m. And one of my little follow-up tricks is if I email you a quote and you don't email me back, I'm going to call you a few hours later and say, hey, did you get my email? Mm-hmm. And that's a secret mm-hmm. follow-up, basically, and mm-hmm. it's a way to follow up without seeming real buggy. She said, actually, I want to go ahead and do that. So I was like, bing, 
quick close. Won that one. Um, and actually, Laurel didn't even know about it. One of her CSRs had quoted it. She said, I didn't even know who it was. But anyways. Right. So, so yeah, so, she is my next door competitor. So 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 let let, let we got to play this out, okay? Look, we, we I want to hear more. I got to hear a little bit more about this before we move into today's episode. So let's look at like when y'all get married. I know y'all are engaged now, and at some point, you know, there's there are wedding plans. Do you guys already find yourself at dinner at night, like sitting across from each other at Taco Tuesday, talking about insurance, or how do y'all? I mean, is there a, a Mendoza line that you guys are like, okay, we're going to talk about insurance for 30 minutes and then, and then we're not going to bring it up again? Or how do, y'all, how do you guys do that? My brain never stops working. Okay. Or never stops running, and and so right. the only the only sort of uh, thing that that we said that we don't want to do is is not unload on each other right when we see each other at at the begin mm-hmm. at the, at the end of the day. Um, mm-hmm. we, we're both pretty much in the middle of the day, very enthralled in our businesses. You know, mm-hmm. I don't take a lot of time to to sit and reflect or anything like that during the day, and neither does she. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there's some days that I don't even hear from her for 14 or 15 mm-hmm. hours because she's so, you know, you know how it is in that first year. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got to be mm-hmm. all in. And so uh, other than the occasional lunch. So the only rule, quote unquote, that, that, that we have we've set is right when we see each other at the end of the day, it's not, let me tell you what happened today. This happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, and this happened. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we mm-hmm. don't do that. We kind of give each other a little bit to decompress, you know, what's going mm-hmm. on. And then we sort of get into, you know, what happened. And we don't really talk. We make sure to not divulge any information that could get either one of us in trouble with our respective mm-hmm. companies. We mm-hmm. don't really talk a lot of shop in terms of carrier-specific information, more mm-hmm. or less strategy, marketing, you know, this happened today. And, and it's good having somebody, uh, and when her and I were just, quote-unquote, friends, and, and we, mm-hmm. were, we were thinking about, you know, taking it a step further, you know, one thing I told her is I said, you know, how awesome would it be to have someone to come home to at the end of the day and say, well, this is what happened today, and go straight into it and not have to have that 20 minutes of explaining what bodily mm-hmm. injury is mm-hmm. or, or something mm-hmm. of that nature. You, you know what I mm-hmm. mean? And, and so that's, right. been, that's been really good. And, mm-hmm. and you know, having so, somebody that, know, that knows exactly what you're going through. It's great. I can, I can see that being a good situation. Um, i tell you what I have seen firsthand that sometimes is not a good situation is when a husband and wife get into an agency together, meaning they're in there all the time together, whether it's a small shop, you know, just a couple people that are in there together, or whether it's a big firm and the wife's kind of running the books and the husband's kind of the sales guy. Right. I've seen, uh, well, I had had a a wife uh, that has a similar situation to that in a very large agency basically pulled me aside one day uh, when I started in the insurance business and, and I was working in their agency. And she said, uh, she said, Scott, I'm going to tell you something. He, she said, before you bring your spouse into this insurance business, at some point in time, you better think long and hard before you do that, because there are days when I want to pour gasoline on his face and set him on fire. Right. You know? right. And, and you and you can't get away from it because and I, you know, I, can, right? I can attest to that because, man, I, I uh, we're going to have to wait a minute. These guys are drilling. Oh, wow. They're getting real over there. I love it. That's this is awesome. Guys, you're listening 
to the Insurance Guys podcast. My name is Scott Howell. I'm based out of Huntsville, Alabama. And we're in the middle and of a construction site. That is not gas. We're in the middle of a construction zone right now doing a podcast for you guys. So we'll just edit uh, that. Please, okay. please, please listen to I mean, this is how dedicated we are. We're actually doing this in the middle of a construction zone. You, you were saying that you could attest to that? I can attest to that because I'm not the easiest guy in the world to work with. I think we could all say that about each other from time to time. I think everybody, you know, has their moments. But I, I can see that the only time that your rule of not talking about work immediately when you guys see each other going out the win- window is if you are in the middle of a cat five situation. Right. And I bet there's been times when you've actually probably middle of the day picked up the phone and call- called her and been like, you are not going to believe this shit. Absolutely. That happened yesterday. <laughs> I'll tell you what, to have a best friend like her that mm-hmm. that is in the game and doing it every day, man, that is and, that is awesome to she, have something like that. She is one of the most, I don't know exactly the word, but she's really good with her words. Mm-hmm. She's very careful with her words. She, she, never she's said, very thoughtful. She never says anything I think she shouldn't say. She's, you know, she's very filtered, and mm-hmm. I am the polar opposite. Um, on many occasions, more occasions than once, when I'm going over a situation with her, she puts her hand on her forehead and says, you did not say that. <laughs> and I just, I don't care what people think about me while at the same time, I care what people think about me. Mm-hmm. So whereas she's very, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing at all. I'm saying it's a good thing with her. Is she's mm-hmm. very filtered and very careful with her words and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. I mean, it's a good balance. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and I just, I, I don't, I don't hold anything back. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to I'm going to tell it like it is, you know, a, a funny example, a simple example of that is the other day, uh, one of my, my CSRs, uh, it was just me and her there at lunch. And I said, you want me to go get a get a pizza? We can split it. And she said, yeah, and you just got to know how I am. But uh, so I went and got the pizza and, and I, I don't I don't take compliments very well. Mm-hmm. And like I have a hard time just saying, "Oh, thank you." You know, I have to, I have to make it. Well, no, it's not that. You know, so she comes in my office, and says, "Hey, thanks for the pizza at lunch today. Enjoyed that." I said, "Well, I was going to get it anyway. You just made me feel better because I didn't eat the whole thing." <laughs> and I was like, "You did not say that." And I'm like, "Well, the CSR knows that I'm just, I'm basically being a smart ass towards myself is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I'm saying basically mm-hmm. I'm a fat ass, and if I'd, I'd have got the pizza either way, you just ate half and I ate half, and that way it kept me. You know what I mean? But right, uh, it was still right. a nice." You know, she's, it was nice gesture and that sort of thing. But anyway, that's just a simple example of what I'm talking about. So do you think we could ever get her on the podcast or is her from a contractual basis with the national carrier that she writes for? Could, will, will they allow that to happen? We probably need to wait. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know if she would, if she could come on or not, but uh, I, she would I be a, understand. she would be a wonderful guest. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. She's got 10 years of experience. She's younger than me and she's got 10 years of insurance experience. She started when she was 16 years old. Wow. Um, basically wow. running running an agency at 17. Uh, wow. A lot of, lot of experience. A lot of mm. experience. What's her, what's her strong suit? Tell me her strong suit. There's one thing, Scott, and this would, be, this would be, I think, a great subject to have a show on. There's one thing that if you do in insurance, this is my opinion, and I've always said this, uh, or there's two things, actually, that you can do in insurance that – if you suck at everything else, your office can be in a shithole. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, you can be missing teeth. You can be the ugliest person on the face of the planet, the opposite of what somebody thinks an insurance agent. But if you do these two things well, so the two things are, one, selling PNC to a client when you're not the cheapest, mm. and two, selling life insurance. Mm. She's really good at both of those, especially mm. the first one. Um, mm. That's why last night with that case, it was so important for me to quick close it right then at 630 instead of saying, hey, because I know she's going to call her back and she's going to sell her. She's mm-hmm. extremely good at building the value. And I mm-hmm. feel like I'm pretty good at that too, and I feel like you are too, mm-hmm. but she is extremely good. Um, mm-hmm. She is. She has taken some clients from me that I found out about after the, you know I knew they were shopping, but I, they ended up going to mm-hmm. her. Um, and, mm-hmm. and and it was five. It's five cases as of right now. All five cases paid more money. Well, she. You said she's extremely good at building the value. Let's let's dive into that for just a second. So, uh, I, for those of you that don't know, I worked for a State Farm agent as an associate agent for two and a half years. And I know when I was with State Farm, they they do a very good job of talk about building value, talking about the the brand, the State Farm brand, and how they're a mutual company and. They pay claims, and they're going to do what they say they're going to do. Is, is that what you mean by that, or is it, is it something more agency-oriented that she's talking about in terms of, of benefits? It's very, very agency-oriented, you know, okay. what, what they're going to do for you, that sort of thing. Their agency has a very good, warm, and fuzzy feeling when you walk in the door mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that sort of thing. Paula, De- Paula Dean and Sweet Tea. Then. That's exactly right. You walk in mm-hmm. there, you know, there's a really nice lady, my future mother-in-law, actually, that sits mm-hmm. out front and greets you, and they, they just make you feel really, really special, which is is something that I've that I've strived to uh, to mm-hmm. do as well. Um, but they so they do an extremely good job of it. So so first impressions, guys. First impressions. If you're listening to this, I can not tell the people that are listening to this enough. Number one, first impressions is the girl sitting at the front of the house. Okay. Your first impression coordinator, is she bitchy, snippy, snappy? Does she always have to be right? Or does she greet people with a smile and make them feel like they're at home when they walk in the door? Cause that's what you need. And alleged, apparently it sounds like your future mother-in-law is Paula Dean and Sweet Tea instead of the freaking DMV. She is. Number two. Guys, don't forget this, because you're going to. Write this shit down. It's good. When you answer that phone, how do, how do you answer that phone? Are you warm and, hey, we were just all sitting over here waiting on you to call? Or is it, stay farm, how can I help you? That's and right. And you're like, on the other end of the phone going, you know what? How about I just call somebody else because I don't even like the way that started. Mm-hmm. And, and I could hang up this. I could get off this call right now, uh, the, the podcast, and I could call five insurance agencies here in Huntsville. And I might get one that answered the phone like they actually wanted to speak to me. So I'm, I'm trying to find, or the other day, I was trying to find a place for my birthday dinner tomorrow night. I went to my favorite restaurant first. They couldn't accommodate us called another one and I was like, hey, you know, we've got a, a party of about 15 people. going to be about an hour. All we're going to do is eat. I wanted to make a reservation. And she said, well, I don't, I don't do the reservations. This, I, I'm not, I'm not umming on, on bikes and I'm doing it on purpose. Um, 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 you can, um, um, you can, uh, you can, uh, 
you can pay to to reserve a table, but I'm not the person who does that. I'm like, okay, well, how much is it? I, I don't know. Mm. And I said, okay, well, who do I talk to about it? Um, I can give you her number and you can call her. And I said, I'm not calling anybody. You can give her my number and get her to call me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, uh-uh. I'm going to go into this a little bit. Is, is you got to know your product. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. she should be able to say $55. Mm-hmm. Right. People call me all the time and they say, well, hey, how much would it be for car insurance on my Lexus? And I have no idea, but I know roundabout. I'm like, well, if you got sure. a good driving record, I mean, it's going to be X. You know? Mm-hmm. Oh, how mm-hmm. much is, okay, if I buy a $25,000 whole life on my grandson, how much is that going to be? It's going to be between 9 and $12 a month, Miss Johnson. Mm-hmm. I, I know you, you got you got to know your crap, you, and your team has to know your crap, and you've got to 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 give your team the capability to to quote that. I mean, I've printed off life quotes before for my CSR. Like, hey, if somebody asks how much life insurance is, you can just rattle this off if you need to. You know, well, you're you're exactly right, and and here, guys, you need to listen to this, okay? For all you agency owners out there that want to pay your people a Snickers bar and a pack of crackers. Speed comes from consistency. Consistency comes from having a team that has been together for a long time. If you think that you're going to hire somebody off the street and bring them in, and in two weeks they're going to have that speed and that consistency that you need, then you are sorely, highly, most definitely wrong. It takes time lots of time you can't get in this business and start from ground zero with no knowledge of insurance even though you're the nicest greatest person smartest person in the world it just takes time to build that speed and that consistency right and and on that subject scott about knowing knowing what you do there, there's two stories i'm going to tell you uh the first one is uh the guy who started starbucks howard schultz mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When Starbucks was expanding into Japan, the Starbucks board of directors and, and Howard Schultz went over to Japan and they hired some Japanese consultants to give them their opinion on the Starbucks brand. What's the best way to infiltrate Japan? And if you know Howard Schultz and you know Starbucks, uh, Laurel actually just got done reading his book Onward. I've read some of it. I'm, I'm picking it back up. Um, they want each Starbucks location to have their own identity. And so they're not going to be the McDonald's where every single one of them is exactly the same. So they are okay with adapting to their environment. So they hired these Japanese consultants. And I think you need to adapt, but at the same time, you need to know what you know, right? Mm, and right. You, need to, you need to know your crap. The consultants told Howard, said, you need to take the Starbucks logo off of the cup and off of the sleeve. Mm-hmm. The Japanese people do not like, they're not materialistic. They're not label whores. Mm -hmm. They don't like that. Howard said, thank you so much. I appreciate, I appreciate your opinion. Let them out of the office, turned around and looked at the board and said, fire them right now. Do not pay them any more money. Mm -hmm. When Starbucks debuted in Japan, the Japanese people were turning the cups so people could see that they were drinking Starbucks. Wow. That's wow. what Starbucks is. Starbucks is not mm-hmm. the coffee. Starbucks is a lifestyle brand. It's the mm-hmm. brand. Mm-hmm. It, it, that's, I mean, it's, that's why, that's why, you know, people like people to see that they're drinking Starbucks. You know, right. it's the cool thing to do. Same thing with Apple. 
that new iPhone X that just debuted looks exactly like a Samsung. And probably mm-hmm. the Samsung might be better, but there's going to be more people buy that probably just because it's got the Apple logo on it. Sure. So, so there's sure. that. The second thing is leading into what we sort of talked about, we were going to talk about today, Scott, is Scott mm-hmm. spent some time at the Alabama football camp. I did, yeah. So today's episode, and I'm sorry we've gotten off on so many tangents, but so my son, this is kind of a, a, a kind of a neat story. My son, uh, he, one of his best friends was going to Nick Saban football camp, and he wanted to go, and we had some conflicts, and I was, I was thinking about it, and I was kind of waffling back and forth, and I, I got to really, really sat down one day, and I was thinking about whether I was going to let him go or not, and I thought, you know, I really do want to go. I want him to go, obviously, because he wants to go. But I want to go because I feel like it's a little bit like getting a, a front row view of, of of a very, very successful corporation. And and let guys, let's just be honest. You can call college football coaches whatever you want to call them, but at the end of the day, they are the CEO of their football program and, and really the, the face of the university. So I got to thinking about how successful Alabama had been in football over the past 10 years with, with Nick Saban. Let's stop right there. now. Just because we are both from Alabama, everybody that's listening, we are not Alabama fans, and either one of us no, are. I no, want Alabama no. to lose every game they play. Let's just put You're that right. out there. okay? Yeah. And I, I, I grew up an Auburn fan. I have lots of friends that played at Alabama. I'm kind of middle of the road. I'm one of the few people in the state that's probably middle of the road between Alabama and Auburn. I do pull for Auburn in the Alabama-Auburn game. Whether I'm a fan of Iowa, Kansas, Ohio State, doesn't matter. You still have to respect the success that that guy's Absolutely. had in Alabama. Absolutely. And so I decided I wanted to go down there and study him the way that the Discovery Channel studies meerkats. And I took my son down there. We checked in on Monday morning. And, um, immediately, um, because we were, we were there a little later than everybody else, we had a, a conflict. And, and so they, they, they actually took one of their recruiting coordinators, graduate assistant recruiting kid, and took me upstairs to go register at some special place upstairs. And, and d- during the course of that, he and I got to talking and, and I gave him my business card and we talked about, you know, hey, if things don't work out here for you for some reason, I'd love the opportunity to talk to you about maybe coming and selling some insurance for me. And so he really liked that. He was like, oh, hell yeah. Well, let me take you in here. I want to show you all this up here. So I got a chance to kind of go through their facilities and meet a lot of their people. And I used that time to really study what they do and try to determine you know, pick up just a few pointers while I was there of what is making this program as successful as it is. And I I think it starts for him with hiring really good people and all facets of, of, of their athletic complex. And, and that goes from, you know, the administrative assistant people to the, to the students that he actually has and they work their ass off when they're not in class. I think most of them are in there working, either cutting up film or helping recruit kids to the university through social media and things like that. And, and, and I know for a fact that those guys and girls work extremely hard while they're a part of that program. And, you know, I, I tried to get around and ask as many people as I could. And the, the one question that I asked them to start was, how do you like working here? 
do, do you like working here? And to a person, uh, I got a lot of different answers, but m- a lot of the answers I got were, you know, I really do like it, but at the end of the day, it, it, it is still a job. You know, it's not, you know, what maybe a lot of people might think it would be. It's still a job. You still come in, you have, you know, you have responsibilities and I think he places a very high level of expectation on everybody in that in that organization. Grant Cardone says, I'm going to push so hard mm-hmm. that if we're not hitting our goals, somebody's pushing back. Right. So you have to right. set that level of expectation. That way you weed out the people who don't belong there. Right. And really, I think it starts with him. And guys, you all need to know this. I had always heard that he got there at seven in the morning and usually did not leave until 10, 11, 12 at night. And I'll be damned if every, you know, at the front of the Malmore athletic complex in the very front, there is a clear sign on the front parking spot, head football coach, university of Alabama. And when I would get there at seven 30, his white Mercedes SL was there and when we would leave at 9 or 10 o'clock at night, that white Mercedes SL was still there. Right. And, and, and along with setting that expectation, like you said, Scott, comes leading by example. If you exactly. set that expectation too high, but you're not leading by example, you're going to fail. Right. Exactly. And I don't think anybody had to worry about where he was. I think they all knew he was there. And I'm sure when he is there especially during a camp or something where he could literally just walk out of his office and come, come. And he did a lot of that, you know, just walk up and start watching what either the high school kids were doing or 13 year olds were doing, or maybe even drop in on the eight, nine year old, 10 year old kids. I'm sure there's a little bit of a pucker factor there that when he walks up, everybody better be doing what they're supposed to be doing. (laughs) So that, that was very interesting. I thought they had uh, – their athletic trainers were fantastic. Coordinators, you could tell, were very good at what they do and loved what they did. I'm talking – you know, Bradley, you would think guys that are making a million dollars a year like Jeremy Pruitt and uh, their offensive coordinator that they just hired when Lane Kiffin left, you would think that, you know, you might see them periodically. No, no, no. They were running the damn camp. They were out there in the middle of it the entire time my son was there. I'm watching them work with these little kids and stuff, and I'm thinking, man, here's a guy making a million dollars a year coaching defense, one of the best defensive coordinators in the country, and he's out here loving every minute of being with a bunch of 10 and 11 and 12-year-olds. That's right. Obviously, that's their passion, and that's what they were put on this earth to do. Now, you didn't get as much of that from some, a lot of the administrative-type role people that you could tell were – they were more of the, well, it's, 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 it's good and we enjoy it, but it's, it's, a, it's a job. It's a job. You, you didn't get quite as much of that passion and that fervor from them that you got from, from some, some of the coaches, coaching staff. But you talk about running a first-class operation. Guys, we go back to, to speed. We go back to continuity. They've had 10 years, 10 years to dial that camp in. And I think they had give or take a thousand campers, probably half of which were overnight campers, which meant that they spent the night there every night. And you talk about having something dialed in every second of every day was planned. They had key fobs around their 
their wrist that they got when they got to camp that kind of kept up with them. But they, they had that sucker dialed in, Bradley. I mean, they, they had it. They had it dialed in like nothing I've ever seen before. So I did my research. I would like to say that I I respect the hell out of Nick Saban, especially from a a business standpoint. There's an article written by Forbes. uh, Monty Burke is the writer, Nine Leadership Lessons from Nick Saban. And I believe Monty Burke was the person that wrote the Saban biography that Saban did not approve of. But uh, the number nine point in there is something that I stress day in and day out. I'm not the most organized person, but when it comes to writing business, I am, and we have to get the details right when it comes to writing business. And that's the number nine point is get the details right. And it states that Saban's process is all about focusing on the journey, not the destination, and about doing the right thing the right way all the time. Now, Mm -hmm. I think the cute saying of focus on the journey, not the destination is bullshit in terms of making people feel better about not achieving success. But I think what that means is is focus on what you're doing right now. Stay in the moment and commit to the process. And I think that's the best way to do it. It also states that an Alabama insider remembers watching a game coached by Mike Shula, who was before Saban, and after the game, the Alabama sideline was a mess with cups, tape all over the ground, and Saban's first, uh, after Saban's first game, the sideline, you, you could have eaten off of it. It was so clean. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's just, you know, focusing on the small stuff, getting the small stuff right, and focusing on the process as opposed to the result you know, eventually you're going, you're going to succeed. And, and I think that's, that's so, so important in a business like insurance where one small mistake can cost somebody literally millions of dollars and cost you millions of dollars in an E&O claim or a lawsuit. So I think that, that when it comes to that, that's the one that stuck out to me the most. And I wish that was number one, not number nine in that list is, is get the details right. Uh, you know, you 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 are one million percent right. Things I took away from that camp were obviously the players have it just absolutely beaten into their head. Do the right thing. Do it all the time. Don't hang around with people that are going to help you make bad decisions. Because I think a lot of what they have challenges with at that level, you're bringing in a lot of inner city kids who maybe maybe haven't had a mama or daddy that really had a lot of discipline. And, and, and um, I think he has to spend a lot of time, especially with the freshmen, kind of re, recalibrating, retooling how they think. Uh, I think it was uh, Rodney Gardner down at Auburn that said one time, you know, we, we spend two or three years recruiting these kids, and the first year we have to decruit them. Right, exactly. And, and I think they have to do a lot of that at both, you know, at all of these large institutions that they're trying to get these four and five star well, kids to come in and here, play for them. Here's here's the bottom line. Here here is what they are trying to get across to them on some level. You ain't shit, right? You know, Bear Bryant used to say. I think back in the day, they would have recruiting magazines that you know. That's when the five star, one, two, three, four, five star program started, and Bear Bryant hated it because it made this kid get a big head. Mm-hmm. When it doesn't matter if you're a five star or a one star or a two star or a three star. At the end of the day, you got to work. That's right. You know, that's right. You're you're a five star high school athlete, but you may be a one star when it comes to to college. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and and I think that, you know, I, I talked to, you know, there, there there's several insurance agents that so everybody knows of an agent. Everybody's in insurance knows of an agent that tried it. Everybody thought they were going to be so, so successful and they ended up not making it at the end of the day. 
and they ended up going out of business. And it doesn't matter. And I have this saying, uh, it doesn't matter how much direct mail you've bought. It doesn't matter how many times you posted on Facebook. It doesn't matter how many, how many uh, billboards you buy. At the end of the day, you've got to sit across that table from somebody and sell them something. That's you right. can't expect it to be done for you. You got to put in the work. It doesn't matter how good you're going to be. You still got to put in the work. Yeah, I tell you, when you walked into that facility at 7 a.m., of course they have a multi-million dollar weight room. Every player was in there. They had the trap, the rap trap music up as loud as it could possibly go, and they had these speakers that looked like you know. There's no telling what they paid for them, but these kids are in that weight room and they were flat getting after it at seven o'clock in the morning. Now, I don't know if they got there at 6. Bradley, we're talking about the middle of the freaking summer here. We're not talking about August 20th when we've come back to you know school for football. We're, right. talking, we're talking like July. So every kid on that team is in that weight room. Now, rap music's up as loud as it could go, and if you don't like rap music, don't go in the Alabama weight room in the middle of the summer at 7 a.m. But those guys are lifting – as much weight as they can. And I don't know, cause I wasn't there before 7am. So I don't know what they were doing before. I don't know if they went out on the outdoor facility and they're doing calisthenics and running, uh, for an hour from six to seven. I have no idea. Right. But, that, but they were getting after it in that weight room at seven o'clock. And I think that speaks to something else that he places a high emphasis on is they're going to be aggressive they're going to be they're going to be strong, they're going to be big, they're going to they're going to outwill their opponent and as he says in some of these Alabama built by Bama videos and stuff, you know, make their ass quit. Make their ass quit. And I, he puts a high emphasis on that. He uses he has a I don't know if he's full-time or part-time, but he has a sports psychologist there that works with both the team and individual players, I believe, from time to time. So, you know, they're doing a lot of things. I go back to what you said about Mike Shula. I, I heard one time from one of his kids that was a student there that worked for Saban. He said when Mike Shula was here, he had four he had four students, I believe it was four, that worked in the football operations department uh, assisting coaches. The day that Nick Saban stepped off the plane at Alabama, he walked in and said, how many how many students do I have working in the football operations? They said four, and he said, I want 14. Granted, little of that's probably some slave labor, okay? Right. I'm sure they're not either making money or not much money, but he ramped that up first day he got there. And I think they really utilize those kids to uh, – I know the guy that I know that worked there for give or take two and a half, three years for – I can't remember if it was offense coordinator or defense coordinator. He said he would be in there at 7, 8 o'clock at night. Practice would be over, and his his uh, offensive position coach would walk by and throw a, a tape down and say, hey, I need this tape cut up bef- before practice tomorrow of today's practice. And what they're doing is breaking it up. I don't know if they break it up per every offensive snap or even per per player. I'm sure they have the ability to break it down on a per player basis of we want to see what the left tackle did on every single practice play that we we had today. Right. You know, that, so that kid would sit there until 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning cutting up tape from that day's practice. That's a lot of work. So <laughs> in wrapping up, what are the three points that you gather from this camp that can be translated to your to these these listeners' insurance 
business? I think the first point is lead from the front, get there early, work as hard as your people work. Point number two would be set very clear expectations of what you what you expect. And I think he does a very good job of that within the organization. And number three would be hire great people. And I'm not talking about his employees, guys. Y'all know who I'm talking about. Not only does he have great administrative people, not only does he have great coaches, not only does he have great grad assistants, not only does he pull a lot of his students that he pulls into the athletic department to help with football operations who they're not even paying because they're already going to school. He's pulling a lot of those kids from the, the one I know whose daddy is in, is in the uh, Alabama High School Hall of Fame as a head football coach at Russellville High School for about 400 years. So he's pulling good people in from all, you know, from everywhere. But you know what else he pulls in? He pulls in great players. You cannot go to Auburn, Alabama or or Knoxville, Tennessee or Atlanta, Georgia to the Mercedes-Benz Dome with Red Bay High School's football team. You've got to be able to do what, Bradley? Sell, sell, sell. And he is the best salesperson in college football, period, end of sentence, when he walks in the living room. That's right. When he walks, when he walks in the living room, guys, the freaking game is over. It's yep. over. I don't give a shit if you tell if you say five minutes before the Mercedes gets there. I don't care what he comes in here and says. You are not playing at the University of Alabama. When that guy leaves, you're going to say, "Yeah, you're playing at the University of Alabama." That's right. So, in closing, I want to say this. This is one thing that I get from Saban, and I learned this today. He may not, may or may not know this, but Saban practices the thank you economy. If you if you read the thank you economy from from Gary Vaynerchuk, I would argue that's one of the most important books you could read right now. So basically what the thank you economy is, and I'll give you an example. It's funny, this this happened last night. A buddy of mine here has a business and he sells probiotics and supplements and that sort of thing. And I was supposed to go see him on Monday to pick up some some supplements and, and I, I forgot. I texted him last night and basically said, hey, can I come by tomorrow and pick that supplement up? And about 20 minutes later, I got a text message of him standing in front of my sign at my office holding that up and said, don't worry about it. It's on the house. That's the thank you economy. The thank you economy is is me sending uh, a client a small gift in the mail that does not that does not (laughs) that meets the rebating laws. Uh, it's that's the thank you economy, and I think Saban practices that a lot in recruiting. People don't realize it's been told that he figures out what a recruit's favorite snack is or type of bubble gum, and has some of that with him when he goes to meet with a recruit, or figures out something that the parents might like. You know, if this mother is into decorating, he compliments her on on the drapes and that sort of thing. And and I think you need to do that in your business. You need to figure out what your client likes. And, and roll with that. You agree? Absolutely. I tell you how I think. He, I'm sitting here thinking how he's doing that. I, I guarantee you, I know what he's doing. He uh, because before he ever gets involved with a recruit, there's a process that they have because they have a process for everything. And I guarantee you, he's getting these 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 student mm-hmm. recruiting coordinators that they have that are matched up. They they run pairs. They they have one two. I don't know how many they have per coach. But those kids are in college at Alabama, okay? And I guarantee you they're building relationships. The, the kids, 
the, the students that are recruiting for him are building relationships with these high school kids that they're wanting to recruit. And somehow he has a process set up where through that relationship building process, these kids are kind of checking the boxes on finding out as much information as they can about this recruit that they're going after. That's right. And then basically what you end up with is when he's ready to pull the trigger on somebody, he's got a dossier. Basically, it's a dossier. It's a folder. You know, this kid likes um, this type of music. This kid eats these kind of snacks. This kid, you know, his mom and dad do this. They live here. Uh, He likes to chew bubble gum, and he likes to play Call of Duty on the Xbox. That's right. It's brilliant. I mean, it's absolutely brilliant. You're using, not, I don't want to say using, but you're, you're taking these kids that are in college that are much more their age. What, what does a, what does a 60 something year old guy have in common with a six, 17 year old kid? Not, not a lot, not a lot, but you know, who does have something in common with them? An 18, 19, 20 year old student in Alabama. And so, and so they start building that relationship there. Of course, the, the assistant coaches are helping with that and they're, they're talking to and, and tweeting and and Instagramming and doing all the other stuff, but they're, they're building this dossier. And then when it comes time for him to step, step in, he's got all the information he needs to very quickly build that relationship. That's right. Hell, that's that's, absolutely that's right. insurance, baby. That's, that's insurance. That's right, man. You want to take as much information as you can possible in order to close that client. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that includes well, stalking them on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, <laughs> Snapchat. Exactly. Well, Bradley, I'm going to finish this up for us. Guys, my name is Scott Howell, owner, agency owner, insurance evangelist for iProtect Insurance and Financial Services. I've been joined today by my fearless leader and host, Mr. Bradley Flowers, down in Mobile, Alabama with Sarah Land Insurance. Guys, get your tail out there. Stop listening to us today at least and get out there and go sell some insurance. Take care of your family write good business for the agency that you work with be good to people make sure that you're providing value first and don't just keep going out there and asking people for business guys you gotta you gotta provide value first and you need to be writing good business for the companies that you represent my name is scott howell you're listening to the insurance guys come back next week and we'll see you then take care see you thanks scott Thanks for listening to the Insurance Guys podcast. If you need to know more about me or you need to get in touch with Scott, you can always reach me at theinsuranceguyonline.com or email me at iprotectins at gmail.com. And if you need to get in touch with Mr. Bradley Flowers, go to bradleyflowersinsurance.com or email him at bradley at sarahlandinsurance.com. Guys, we love you. Thank you so much for listening. We look forward to being with you again real soon on the next episode of the Insurance Guys. Take care.